Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Cohen's Quarter. This week, we are very excited to have on someone who is responsible for all the amazing work that SNY has been doing this year and for the last several years, uh, John DeMarsico, who is the game director for SNY's coverage of Mets baseball since 2019. He's also been at the network since he started as an intern in 2009 and began his career by studying film at NC State and, of course, grew up a diehard Mets fan, which I'm sure we're going to get into. We're going to get into all of his work with SNY, some of the fun things they've done this year, and some hopefully behind the scenes little tidbits that fans might not get to see at home. So first of all, John, thank you so much for joining us. We are so excited to be talking to you. There's been so much, you know, so many fun things that you guys have done this year that I can't wait to chat with you about and learn more about. So thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. So to get started, as I said, you did grow up a diehard Mets fan, which it seems like a lot of the people we talk to, we haven't necessarily known if they were a Mets fan going in, but then our conversation revealed that and it kind of makes sense with their current job. So one thing we like to ask people is kind of how they first got into baseball, how they first became a Mets fan, sort of their Mets fan origin story. So we're going to kind of start off with that. How did you become a Mets fan? So I'm a, a bit of an oddball because I didn't grow up in the area. I actually, I was born in Florida, but I grew up in North Carolina. But my dad is from Long Island. So he, he was a Mets fan, a diehard Mets fan. His, you know, he was at the, you know, the, he was, he was a the big fan during the eighties and uh, he uh, instilled in me very early for better or worse, my Mets fandom. So I was in North Carolina we had the direct TV package where I was able to watch every night. And uh, be tortured by all of the Brave fans. because I, I grew up in Braves country, so I was tortured by Brave fans throughout the, their, their run in the 90s and 2000s, you know, their consecutive uh, division titles. And, you know, but there was a few bright spots in there in 99 and 2000. But then, you know, Art Howe showed up and Roberto Alomar, the Mo Vaughn days, Jeremy Burnett's days. Those were uh, those were some bad times. But, you know, it's also some great times because they're sort of the... Uh, the bedrock of my fandom and it, you know it's it, it takes a lot of uh fortitude to be a met fan and it's been a lot of fun so considering that you grew up a met fan how yeah. surreal is it for you now that you're working for SMY and doing what you're doing yeah i have to pinch myself every day it really is incredible where my life has taken me and my dad still watches every night and he's you know he's blown away you know his some of his favorite players when he was you know in his 20s were Keith Hernandez and Ron Darling. And he's like, I can't believe you get to work with these guys. It's I don't think of them that way because I never saw them play. So they're just they're just kind of like my my wacky uncles at this point. But um, it's uh, pretty surreal to get to do this as my job every day. It's like um, it's a dream I, I don't never want to wake up from. I was going to ask this later, but since you mentioned, sure. you know, Keith and Ron, I'm kind of curious what your like what is kind of your regular interactions with them like just in terms of how much you interact with them like what kind of is the structure of like when like when you interact sure. pre-game post-game because I feel like that's not something the fans really get to see in terms of we see Gary Keith and Ron on TV yeah. but we don't know kind of the work they do with the production crew beforehand sure. so like what is your relationship like with them in uh, that sense those guys are family at this point I started at SMY in 2009, so basically a third of my life have been spent around those guys, seeing them every day for six months a year, seven months if you count spring training. And so it's um it's a relationship that is has sort of evolved past the point of a working relationship. We know each other's families, we know the ins and outs of 
everybody's quirks and their own little idiosyncrasies. As far as what we do pregame, <clears throat> it's very informal. Um, our producer will send out a note in the morning, whether it be a text or an email to the announcers and our, our small production group, which is our uh, our producer is Greg Picker. Our associate director is Eddie Warman. And our associate producer who does the graphics is Tom Rockland. So it's, a, it's four guys plus the announcers and gelbs. They'll send out a note in the morning, kind of with a general couple of themes for the series. You know, if it's the first day of a series or, you know, themes for that night. And then we get to the ballpark for home games and um, we'll go upstairs and we'll eat dinner with those guys sometimes. And kind of, you know, we may not even talk about the game. It may be, you know, about Keith's commute into the ballpark or Keith's new trainer or most conversations end up being about Keith because Keith, you know, <laughs> Keith enjoys talking about himself. But we 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 have a really good time on the road is where we actually spend the most time because we're sort of um, we're sort of isolated. You know, we're either in the in the hotel, you know, or, you know, we're not with our family. So after a ball game, uh, we'll all ride back together, back to the hotel. Our, our associate uh, producer, Tom Rockland, has uh, inherited that job of driving us back from the ballpark. It's sort of the um, the low man on the totem pole has always driven the crew back to the hotel. I did it. Eddie did it, and now Tom does it. And then more times than not, we'll end up back at the hotel bar or restaurant. We'll have, have a bite to eat, a couple of drinks, and we'll talk about the game. And that is um, more or less how <laughs> our meeting about the next day. You know, we don't have a lot of phone calls or Zooms or pre-production. We talk about the game the night of while it's fresh. And um, that sort of lays the, uh, the concrete for what we do the next day. It's a, it's like I said, it's very informal and it's, um, it's, a, there's a lot of laughs and it's, um, it's a, it's a, it's a really good time. Obviously there's a lot of great booths in baseball, but I don't think yeah. I'm going out on a limb here to say that Gary, Keith and Ron are the best. I mean, if not close to the best there, I mean, obviously sure. we're very biased, we're but biased, but we're correct. Is they're the best, <laughs> but I mean, people don't, I agree. I yeah, agree. They're totally. awesome. But I mean, people probably don't always consider also that there's so much stuff that goes on behind the scenes. Like, yes, Gary, Keith and Ron are the face and Steve to an extent, obviously. Yeah. But there's so much that goes on behind the scenes. And I think this year it's really like grown the popularity of SNY. I mean, you just see people that aren't even Mets fans or that don't even really follow baseball a lot that are with the Ed, whether it's the Edwin Diaz stuff or the different work you guys have done with it, like meshing the two pictures in one, you know, side <laughs> by side. I feel like that's one of the, for me, that's a personal favorite, I think, of stuff you guys have done this year. I was wondering if you could kind of just talk about that and the different things that you've been able to do. Sure. This we have the advantage as a production group of having those three guys in the booth every night. And by having those three guys in the booth every night, it allows us to have freedom to take some chances and do some things that other broadcasts probably aren't doing. Do some things that a lot of broadcasts aren't allowed to do. The strength of our booth is its consistency. Those guys have been together since the network's inception in 2006. A lot of networks have a rotating, you know, cast of characters every night. You know, the Yankees, you never know who you're going to have in the booth on the Yes Network. Or, you know, it's um, it's hard. To, it's hard to have that bond that the fans have with a group if, it, if it's not consistent. And every night at seven o'clock, everyone turns on their TV, invites Gary, Keith and Ron and Gelbs into their homes for, for better or worse. It's a it's a relationship. And the the fans have been um, unbelievable, you know, with their praise for those guys. And they deserve it. They've been amazing. But the attention that we've gotten this year from 
behind the scenes has been a little it's been a little uh, jarring. It's been uh, it's it's it was very unexpected. Uh, if you told me before the season started that I'd be on a podcast like yours or in the New York Times or, uh, you know, all of these things that have, have popped up, it's I think you're crazy. Why does anybody want to hear from me? You know, I had I had a small group of Twitter followers before all of the DS stuff happened. And we, you know, I would repost some things that I thought were interesting or get some laughs. And now it's, I think I'm up to close to 7,000 followers. And I just, I got to be careful what I say on there now. It's well, like I, people, are, people are listening. I'm going to be honest. Um, no, it, that's when I followed you was like after yeah. that, because I saw you commenting on some stuff and yeah. I didn't know your name before that, but I saw sure. you adding like insight to people talking about, it was like the, whatever the first time, like the Diaz entrance really went viral, which I think was, it, it was, was like the, the first DeGrom home start, wasn't it? it like was, early August? It was ish. It was the first DeGrom home start. I think in, in August, <laughs> that game was a crazy day. We stayed for the we stayed for the Degrom Simple Man entrance, and it, the DS thing just felt like the natural thing to do to bookend that day, and it really has <laughs> caught the world by storm. I just saw this morning that Jeff Passan did a whole thing about closer entrances on ESPN. And, and, you know, he interviewed The Undertaker <laughs> from WWF and, and, you know, the sort of the spectacle that the ninth inning has become for all these teams. And it's been really fun to kind of be a part of that and start experimenting with different ways to do it and kind of have some fun along the way. It's I mean, it's right. Up, it's right up my alley. I, I love that kind of stuff. Like we've, we're always looking for new ways to engage the fans or, you know, whether it be a teaching moment from the booth or a snazzy video package or some sort of cinematic device that I try to implement in game. We're always trying to engage the viewers and sort of jar them out of their seats a little bit because baseball can be a slow game, as we all know, and games aren't getting any any uh, any quicker, although they might next year. Who knows? We'll see what happens. At the end of the day, we we work in a uh, an entertainment business, and this is sort of, you know, it comes with the territory. And I think I think the attention we've gotten is um, sort of a product of us doing the things that we've always done, but the team is playing great. And so the, the attention is, 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 has been on us and the, the little things we're doing are getting, are getting more attention, which is great. It's good for the Mets. It's good for SNY. It's good for us personally. It's good for our brand, our broadcast, everything. Yeah. I was going to bring up that it obviously helps that the team is having one of their best seasons in yeah. franchise history up to this point. So the attention is obviously magnified. And sure. the fact I mean, that Diaz has had a great season as well. Yeah, and, and that's everyone is excited when yeah. he comes yeah. into the I mean, game. And nobody, want, nobody, nobody would want to hear the trumpets if his ERAs was six. So yeah. it, 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 the, the the players are are why this stuff is getting highlighted, and him having a great season certainly is, is the reason. Yeah, and there's been so many big moments, and I think one of the biggest moments, and obviously, like I said, with the stuff you've done, meshing the pictures, following mm -hmm. Diaz, sure. like you brought up, staying with the Grom for Simple Man. I mean, that was awesome. Um, it just seems like you guys have done so many things. But when I think of just a specific play, I think of the Brandon Nimmo catch and just the pictures you guys were able to capture with the Grom yeah. with his hands in the air and Nimmo showing that emotion that he honestly really doesn't show that much. But it was just there was so much in that. And I felt like you guys did such a great job of showing all those different angles and all that went into it in a really short amount of time, because obviously you yeah. got to think on the fly and do that. So I was wondering if you could just talk about that play specifically. a little sure. bit. So baseball, baseball is kind of a funny game to cover for television. 
it's one of the only sports that doesn't go left to right on your screen, like football, basketball, hockey. You know, you're following a ball or a puck down the court. Baseball, the ball is put in play. And mo- a lot of times the runs are scored, you know, 300 feet away from the ball. And that's an odd thing for a sport. So it's a diff- it's an interesting sport to cover. Also, baseball is basically 20 seconds of silence and you know, for the viewers at home, it's 20 seconds of, of voyeurism. That's how I like to view it. And then it's rapid, rapid climax of events that is, you know, baseball's slow until it's not. You know what I mean? You're, we're all we're all kind of sitting there in the truck, you know, and you kind of we're there for three and a half hours. And, you know, we're you know covering pitches and checking the bullpens, you know, you know, you know especially with the umpire challenges. Now, it's like that slowed the game down a little more now. But then something like that happens, the Nimmo catch, and we all sort of perk up in our seats. And it all it all really boils down to having a great crew that knows. I, I, I've said this before, but our camera guys are basically producers and, uh, you know, behind the camera. They have such a vast knowledge of the game and of their equipment that they're able to, to kind of, um, you know, use their instincts to get things like the DeGrom reaction shot from behind. I think you're talking about the shot from behind, right? Where we, you kind of see the seven line behind him and he's got his arm raised. Is that the shot you're talking about? Yeah, that and even from that one, yeah, that especially that one. But even yeah. so from the reverse angle, like from the yeah. center field yeah. angle where it's just him, you know? Every camera has a certain assignment on a play like that. But the shot from behind is just literally a camera guy being instinctive. Like he could have gone with the ball there but he knows that all of my other high cameras are going to be getting the great catch. So his gut went to, was to go to the pitcher there. That's nothing I did. That's all on the camera guy. And he's able to capture a, a phenomenal shot like that just by being at the right place at the right time. But it's not by accident. It's, these guys know baseball and they're, they're pros. And I've been fortunate enough to be with this crew at home that the majority of them do the world series and postseason. Like, these were all um, my mentor, Bill Webb, all his camera guys that he had for 20 plus years at Fox doing the World Series. And so I, I've i been in a really fortunate position just to, to just slide right in and kind of ride the wave that he created. You know, I was talking about before how the booth really gives us the freedom to experiment and do a lot of things that a lot of shows don't do. My crew at home does the same thing because they're so good. I'm able to take more chances at home that I can't do on the road or I can't really take, you know, take the chance to to miss something in the game, you know, because I know my cameras have my back because they are they're my eyes and ears out there, man. I'm not out there. I, I always tell people that I haven't been to a baseball game in like 10 years, ironically enough. Like I haven't actually been in the seats for a game in like 10 years. <laughs> so they're my eyes and ears out there. I'm in the truck. I'm I'm out. I'm out on the loading dock at City Field. I'm not there. So it's um I rely on those guys. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't really thought yeah. that much about that because, again, there's so many different elements that go into producing these games. And kind of like what you were saying, it's I think not only the booth being consistent, like you said, the camera people having the instincts to capture yeah. those shots, but also the knowledge of like what fans watching might want to see. And like for even the things with like DeGrom, for example, him pitching a game is always a little bit special. And that game against the Dodgers, like, just having the instinct to kind of realize that people might want to see his reaction from that dramatic vantage point, especially since he like Nimmo doesn't really get that emotional on the field. I mean, I, that's probably the most reaction I've ever like seen him give for a defensive play 
that I yeah that that was that career. was that was special that that whole day was was something else I, was that the Timmy trumpet yes, day too that was the same game that that, yeah, that, it was. that whole game was was crazy it was the Dodgers in town you know you had Timmy trumpet there for night two because he you know he came the first day and it didn't work out and so the pressure was already a little high <clears throat> so everybody was sort of um you know, waiting for Timmy trumpet to come out is this going to be the game he comes out you know? What is SMY going to do when 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 Timmy Trumpet's there? And it turns out the Nimmo play, you know, kind of took center stage in front of all that. It made the Timmy Trumpet stuff just it made it easy because we I feel I felt like we already peaked with the Nimmo thing, you know. And that was like like you said, there was a lot of pressure because that first day he was hoping to be able to do it, and then it obviously was. Buck's not just going to throw in Diaz into any situation. So Buck is not changing his bullpen yeah, plan. So, I mean, because Timmy had Trumpet to, is an attempt. It had to be the perfect like sequence of events for it to work out. And that night as a whole, beating the Dodgers, the best team in baseball, 2-1, Nimmo having that catch to save the game. I mean, totally. it was such a, I was I was at the game, fortunately, that night. And the that was the most electric I've seen City Field for a regular season game. I and mean, maybe last year's Subway Series, the 20th anniversary of 9-11, mm-hmm. that's up there. But I think yeah. like, for a regular season game, the hype and the just the electricity in the stadium that night was just, it was unreal. When there's a, when there's a packed house there, it raises the production quality at SMY so much because it, it goes from, from covering a game to, it, to becoming an event, you know, and there's a difference, you know, when we're tonight in Oakland, there's going to be about 5,000 people in the seats. Probably it's going to be a little different. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's not that juice. There's not that energy. Um, the players feed off it, but we do in the truck too. We like, you know, I, I always want a packed house. You know, a lot of the, a lot of the crew might complain because they say, Oh, this is going to be a pain in the butt to get out of here after the game's over. But I want it, man. Bring it on pack, sell that place out. Keep coming. You know, the home games are winding down for us. I think we have, we have five home games left and they're all like midweek games. And those usually aren't, you know, the most, most uh, packed houses. So, uh, I would uh, encourage fans to to come on out and uh, support the club because it makes a difference for us too. Yeah, for sure. And hopefully it works out that, I mean, if they get through that Atlanta series, all right, that series yeah. against the Nationals, I mean, they're going to be hoping to clinch a division. So be crowded. fans will be Possibly. showing up for that. I hope so. I hope so. We're, we're really bummed that we're, because we lost two of those games in Atlanta. So they're going to be on Fox on the Saturday game and oh. ESPN on the Sunday game. So we're only doing the Friday now. So we we're, we're hoping nothing gets clinched uh, for that series. I mean, sure. It'd be great if the Mets clinched, blah, blah, blah. But selfishly, I would, I would like for them to clinch the the next three days. Then even just going back to the other day when they clinched a postseason spot in Milwaukee, like, yeah. are, do you also produce the post game coverage as well? Like how, how does that work for, <laughs> not, like, were you involved not, with that? Not normally, but in this case, yes. Um, any of the, any clinch scenario is, um, it's sort of produced and directed by us in the truck. Yeah. So all the shots you saw in the clubhouse and all the shots you saw on the field was, was, was my cameras. Yeah. I made sure. I mean, look, I know yeah. the division is still in sight, but I was like, yeah. look, this might be the only clinch we get. So I made sure to record the whole thing. Absolutely. I rewatched it once already. It was, there were some, there were some great shots of the players, like taking selfies and like having other people take photos yeah. of them and just, giving each other hugs. So I'm glad yeah, we got was, all of that coverage. <laughs> I was, I was really proud of the crew that day in Milwaukee because, you know, it's, it's weird because we, we travel to these cities and we hire local crew camera guys and everybody that works at the truck is, is, is local in those cities and they have no connection to the Mets and they, it's just, you know, it's another day of work for them, but those guys, they really, um they stepped up and they were eager and they were, they, they did a great job. 
uh, of covering the the not only the game but the post game stuff as well. So I was just wondering because in other sports like hockey and basketball, for the first couple of rounds, teams get to use their regional sports networks to broadcast the games, and you get to hear your own like your own announcer basically make the call, and it's your own crew doing it. So how much do you wish that baseball was that same way? That's a good question. I it's hard because. We baseball is a grind, you know, in football, they, they play a handful of games, basketball, it's about half our games. We're grinding from spring training all the way through the, you know, the end of September, early October. And honestly, I could use the break. <laughs> My family could use the break because baseball, John, is a little different than offseason, John. I'm every day, I, you know, you wake up and you're, you eat, sleep and drink baseball and you have to find, you know, a moment here or there where it's not baseball. So. <laughs> My family would say, no, that's a terrible idea. Why would we, we, we can't, you, you cannot do any more games, but it's always weird. Like, you know, the season ends, we've had this great year. The team's had this great season. And, you know, after game 162, we go home, you know, where we, we become, you know, a civilian where we're, you know, we're, we're, we're watchers, you know, we're not a part of the team or a part of, you know, anything that's going on production wise. And it's odd. This happened in 2015 on the World Series run. It was um, it was very uh, it was jarring to, to, to kind of be with the team embedded every day, coming up with new ideas and, you know, really feel like you're 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 part of something. And then the, the season ends and it's uh, it, it all ends for you. But at the same time, I was able to, you know, watch the World Series with my dad. But, you know, if I was doing the game, I wouldn't get a chance to do that. So that was special. And I have a daughter now who's um, two and she gets a kick out of baseball. You know, she doesn't really know what she's watching yet. So it'll 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 be fun to actually um, this offseason, you know, when the playoffs start, maybe sit down and, and watch a few innings with her. And cause I haven't got to experience that yet. So that'll be special for me. So it's a it's a complicated question. I would love I would love to do postseason. But at the same time, it's nice to um, to have some time. I seem to remember also, but like in 2015, I seem to remember they had, they must have still done like the regular post games on SNY. Cause I remember like Gelb's doing interviews with players after the game and them having all of those. So is there must be like some element of that local yeah. production that's still there, even if the game broadcast isn't necessarily is, the local announcers. Yeah, so the, our group at our studio that produces the pregame and the postgame show for the regular season, they, sort of continue on once the regular season ends and they do the pre and post game show for the postseason. And I think they're doing it this year as well. I, I don't know who's going to be involved, whether it's going to be Gary and Keith or obviously Steve will be there throughout the run, no matter what happens. But I think, I think our announcers may be contributing in some fashion. I know Ronnie obviously can't because he's got his Turner obligations, but um, yeah, I think, I think fans can expect that to, to be the case again this year. We're really looking forward to that. You know, however long the run ends up being, whatever happens, it'll be nice to have that personal element there. The people that we've been watching on the broadcast all season be part of that. I have kind of a, you were alluding to it a little bit earlier, and I wanted to go back to talking about some of the cinematic elements that you enjoy adding to broadcasts and the fact that you're able to do that on, you know, SNY versus maybe other networks aren't able to experiment as much. And you mentioned that you studied film in college as well. So what are some of like your film influences that you've brought into your current career because you know obviously working as like a film director and you're a game coverage director different subject matters but I'm imagining that probably some of you know the things that you studied you still try to like take with you so yeah we're curious kind of like what maybe some of those influences are because sometimes we've been able you've 
kind of alluded to it on Twitter, like, yeah. oh, this director, so-and-so, yeah. like, kind of inspired this shot. Sure. So I'll preface this by saying I, in my downtime, when I'm not doing games, I don't watch a lot of baseball. <laughs> Shockingly, I, I get my fill from, you know, our pre-production and the game and then winding down after the game. I don't watch a lot of other broadcasts, so I don't know exactly what they're doing. In my downtime, you'll find me watching movies, you'll, you know, when I'm not spending time with my family. I get, I get a lot of inspiration from things I watch on, in movies. It's, um, you know, if I see something, a cool transition or a cool split screen, I'll go, huh, okay, how could I implement that? And some of my biggest influences, I know you guys brought up when I kind of uh, mesh two shots together, that comes from Brian De Palma. He was very, he, one of his cinematic devices was the split diopter shot, which is basically a, a physical, basically a split screen on the camera lens where he's able to keep something in the foreground in focus and something in the background in focus. And it has a slight little blur in the middle. And so I, I started experimenting with that as a split screen. It's sort of a, a faux split diopter last season. And it's sort of evolved to, I have, I think I have five or six different variations of it now, depending on the situation or whether it's a lefty or righty batter or pitcher combination. Yeah. Stuff like that. I love to kind of, um, sneak in once in a while in a big moment um, in the right pitcher on the mound in the right situation. I feel like it elevates the, uh, the tension a little bit. Like I said before, sort of jars the viewer out of their seat a little bit at home, makes them say, Oh, okay, I should pay attention now. You know? Um, also, obviously I've, I've loved Quentin Tarantino for a long time and the Buck Walter stuff that I, I've done with the, the kill bill uh, red screen with the montage of the hit by pitches is sort of a, uh, been a thread that we've <laughs> explored this season and certainly has helped that the Mets have set a major league record for hit by pitch. They did. So they had like up. eight hit by pitches in like a three game span or something uh, to set really, the record. It, it's crazy. And it, it started as sort of like, it felt like a, a, you know, an inside joke when the season started that I sh I'll show Buck after every hit by pitch. And it's sort of turned into like this expectation. Now, anytime there's a hit by pitch, I got to yeah. show Buck. His reactions have <laughs> You know, sometimes sometimes you get a get a good one. Sometimes he's sort of, you know, you know, he just kind of gives a little scowl. But there's always something there. And, it, you know, I, I can't not show Buck at this point after a hit by pitch. And he's been, he, he's given some good ones recently. He's I think he's really fed up. Like yesterday when Canna got hit the two times, he was pissed off. Oh, he was not happy. And then and then the, the record breaker when Gourmet got hit. Oh, yeah, foot, he wanted the ball. He asked for the ball. <laughs> I, I just thought that was just so perfect. And a a fitting uh, sort of a uh, close to this running thread that's kind of uh, ran throughout the season. Yeah, it was great. So I'm curious, have you had any moments this season where it was kind of like, oh shit, like this isn't working. Like we need to do something real fast. I mean, something that sticks out to me was, I think it was the last time you guys were in Atlanta. Something was up with like the series that you couldn't show like uh, yeah. board or whatever. And you, somebody cut out a piece of the jumbotron, I think it was yeah. in Atlanta and pasted that onto the TV picture. That was really cool. But yeah, I don't know that a moment like that stands out that's live tv man it's like it's every night it's um especially on the road i kind of it's kind of amazing that we're able to get on the air at all sometimes on the first game of a series because it's people don't understand is this is we're not in a controlled studio environment we're literally having a truck drive across the country and roll up into these cities with all the equipment on board, shaking and rattling on the highway, you know, you get stuff off the truck that's not working. You're with a crew that you don't necessarily know or hasn't worked with you in a long time, especially this season after the pandemic. I haven't seen some of these crews since 2019. So it's always amazing to me that we're able to get on the air at all sometimes on the road. 
But then, you know, the game starts and things like that come up where we our graphics machine wasn't working. And that happens. You know, it's ha- you know, it happens probably once every two seasons. You know, we don't we lose the graphics machine, although it feels like it's happened a lot this year. And you kind of you kind of have to improvise and it's not going to you're not going to win an Emmy for that game. But yeah, you, you kind of think outside the box. And I noticed that the scoreboard had all the stats there. And so I had our technical director who was sitting beside me finagle a little split screen where I could, you know, ID the batters with their stats with the scoreboard basically so it was a little it was a little hokey but at the same time you know it's it's uh it's live tv and it sort of humanizes the broadcast a little bit and you know where this is not you're not watching a movie you're not watching a pre-produced piece this is happening in real time and it's not going to be perfect but at the same time it's it's that live atmosphere which kind of highlights some of the cinematic stuff that i've thrown in this season because people go, oh, this looks like, you know, a movie or a pre-produced piece. And it's been interesting to kind of um, introduce some of that, you know, that flair for a live broadcast. It's I, it, I find it very cool. And I, I have a pretty good feel for for that kind of stuff. And I, if I think it's cool, I think the majority of other fans are going to think it's cool <clears throat> because it wasn't that long ago that I was the one watching every game at home. So I, I like to think that I have a pretty good feel for what people want to see. I also remember too, even, you know, in terms of having to like improvise with the live broadcast, not only that with the graphics this year, but even just all like the fun moments that you guys have during the games. Yeah. Like I remember in 2020 when there were no fans and like Gary, Keith and Ron were in the different booths and they had like the clothesline going between the booth. <laughs> they were sending yeah. insomnia cookies back and forth to each yeah. other and things like that, that there's no way like other teams are doing that. I'm, I'm yeah. pretty sure based on the other broadcasts. Yeah. I've seen. It, so it, just it, the level it, of room for improv clearly you can tell watching the games that sometimes you're really impressed by the production quality and sometimes you're like the live element is especially prevalent that's a good way to put it the improv a lot of that stuff it is spur of the moment it's not planned and there's not a lot of whole thought that goes into it the stuff that becomes special is all organic the stuff that is most special is organic the the moment you start trying to put a lot of pre-production into it or you know, have meetings and phone calls about it, it gets a little diluted and it becomes a little less, um, a little less uh, fun for the announcers. And, and then it becomes a little less fun for the fans. So most of the stuff you see is just reaction and capturing a moment and embellishing a little bit, you know, with the, you, you, you brought up the, the, the zip line. We had these guys separated in separate boots during the pandemic. And that really hampered what makes our broadcast so special because when it's a three-man booth, when those three guys are together, something magic happens. And when when they were separated, it, it it kind of we kind of lost that. So we, our producer Greg Picker, thought of the idea to put a zip line and have the guys pass notes back and forth, and that sort of evolved into putting Keith's laundry on it and you know sending cookies back and forth. It kind of was uh you know it became part of the show, and we even installed one of those um those mirrors where you in like that are installed in parking decks so that the guys could see each other in the mirror and to let them kind of play off one another you know it's it's all about kind of playing the hand you're dealt and the pandemic dealt us a pretty shitty hand and so we uh we did everything we could to, to keep the show entertaining and like i said there was no fans in the ballpark and when there's no fans it's really hard for us to make big moments feel big and so you have to do some of the other kind of funny stuff i think jerry seinfeld called the uh called you know gary keith and ron the this is the show you know like the youth get you three guys this is this is the show and the game is still king but at the same time it is the show 
you know, people are tuning in to hear Gary, Keith and Ron. That's why they get so pissed when they're, you know, they're on Fox and ESPN. Even though those guys do a great job. This is this is this is their Gary, Keith and Ron are theirs. You know, there's some ownership. There's a relationship there. It's uh, it's fans don't like it when they're not there. Or even when and we love Wayne Randazzo, we love the other guys. But when there's yeah. somebody filling in, too, I feel like that's that same kind of like, oh, you know, like, like we have yeah. great villains compared to other teams. And it's you don't miss a beat, but it's still like there's a little level of disappointment, you know, when you turn totally. on the TV. And, and listen, this this is this is a finite thing. They're not getting any younger, those three. So you really have to appreciate what you have right now because it's um this is special and it's not going to be forever. The Mets have had a long tradition of great broadcasters and started with Kiner, Murphy, and Lindsey Nelson. And now we're now we're at uh, Gary, Keith, and Ron. And now this they've spent as many years together as those guys did. I think they're I think this is I think they tied them this season. And so fans, I think they really need to take a step back and and say, wow, I can't believe that we have this, this threesome in the booth that is um, it's historic, you know, and I, I, I think one day that, you know, there'll, there'll be a GKR up there uh, in the retired numbers. There should be, I think one day Gary Cohn will be in Cooperstown because as you know, with the award they give out every year for a broadcast Frick award. Yeah. The Frick award. Yeah. So I think it, what the Mets have right now, what S and Y has right now, not, I mean, obviously they get tons of attention, tons and tons and tons of attention, but it's really special and it's historic because this, this is not going on other places. I mean, Vince Scully is no longer with us. There's not there's not a ton of iconic booths, and the Mets have one of them. And I'm lucky to, to enough to get to work with them, and Mets fans are really lucky to have them. I definitely don't take it for granted. I know there have been mm-hmm. times over the years where if I hadn't been watching the Mets game and they were down like 10 to nothing, I've like turned on the game because I'm curious yeah. about like what they're going <laughs> to say or like we- – you know what they're we going to do because the rate, we do you know. some we do, we do some of our best work in blowouts. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> especially uh, if the Mets are losing, it kind of sucks. But then I do usually still keep it on because I'm like, well, now they're going to like do something funny. So that's the goal. That's the goal. And you know, there's a little shift from game coverage to to sort of entertainment. We all we all sort of change our mindset. You know, it doesn't. It's not necessarily X's and O's at that point. It's it's about what are we going to do next to entertain the viewer, whether it be baseball cards or have the guys reading out of the media guide. People love yeah, that the with the guide. music in the background. That yeah. that never gets old. <laughs> yeah. So there's always something. We pick our spots, and it doesn't. It doesn't obviously it doesn't happen every game, but we try to find the right balance between. X's and O's and entertainment. And that, and that that goes for any game, but especially in blowouts. And you've brought up a couple of times that it's it's an entertainment business, you know, and I think obviously Gary, Keith and Ron get the attention that they rightfully deserve. But I feel like a not, not enough is said about the job that Steve Gelbs has done and the shoes that he had to fill with Kevin Burkhart leaving. Mm-hmm. And I feel like especially this season alone, like whether it's with the cup snake out in, in Wrigley or the guy a couple weeks ago trying to get the ball from him, you know, where I guess they were in Miami. I don't, I don't know. I don't know Pittsburgh. where Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. I knew yeah. it was somewhere empty, but Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah. and the other day with, with the sausage race, I mean, I feel like Steve has done such a great job and he doesn't always get the attention he deserves. And now he's doing stuff with the jets and whatever, but I feel like he's yeah. also a big contributor to what you guys do. Steve, Steve has grown so much at SMY. I mean, he's after this season after the season, I think he's been at SMY longer than Kevin was. So and he had some huge shoes to fill, obviously, and that's that's a job nobody wanted, you know, to follow following up Burkhardt. And it wasn't easy for him in the beginning, um, but he's really he's really found a groove with his personality. And who you see on the air is really how he is in real life. 
he's not playing a character. It's he's kind of um, he's kind of embraced his goofiness, I like to say, <laughs> which is good. You know, it's and, it, and it's charming and he's got a very dry sense of humor and really quick timing. And he's um, he's become a very big part of the show. And, uh, you know, obviously a big part of the fun stuff that we do. We were just in Milwaukee and he, you know, he got he he graced the sausage soup. <laughs> and, and he won. Hysterical. He and won. Gary, like calling it was so funny. Like the Keith, Keith's yeah. reaction. I that think was it was awesome. John, I think it was you that posted it with Keith's yeah. like with the Lindor Grand Slam. And then next yeah. to it was uh, his reaction when Steve won the race. And it was, oh, yeah. oh, it was so yeah, different. Yeah, people always give Keith and Ronnie shit when we post those uh, those booth reactions because they, a lot of times they just go straight to their scorecard. They're not celebrating, yeah. blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> Gary's out of his chair throwing his pen and, you know, doing his <laughs> thing up there. It, it, it's always It was very funny to me to, to see the booth cam reaction to Steve winning a sausage race versus, you know, the Metchania game a game-winning Grand Slam. So it was a, uh, a, a nice uh, side-by-side. But, yeah. What was the what were we talking about? What was the question? Good old about, Steve. Uh, oh, Steve, 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 Steve. <laughs> yes, Steve is Steve is obviously a huge part of the show, and I think you know he's you know he's grown up on SNY at this point. He's gotten married, he's had kids, and you know he's he's become uh, essential. You know, it's a, it's with Kevin. We always thought of Kevin as the fourth member of the booth, and that's a hard thing to do when you have Gary, Keith, and Ron to kind of be that fourth member. And Steve has certainly done that especially this season last few seasons have you know he's he's really stepped up his game and become that fourth member of the booth it's like the fifth beetle you know you never imagine there's actually going to be one (laughs) totally totally i I always wonder too like you know mets fans at least for the last pretty much since i think 2007 was kevin burkhardt's first season and i just wonder maybe maybe you have an answer to this maybe you don't but like how common is it for fans to a be blessed with two amazing sideline reporters that both last like over seven years in that mm-hmm. job and that it becomes so cherished. Like how, how common is that? I don't think it's because- common at all. I don't think it's common at all. That job for a lot of people um, has a shelf life and it's sort of a transitional position for somebody that maybe has different aspirations. Um, but Kevin obviously owned it and Steve has taken what Kevin created and, you know, made it his own. It's he's not, he does something totally different than what Kevin, Kevin did. And it's, I think it's totally a rare thing. Like I said, a lot of people use that. A lot of other broadcasts use that position to, um, you know, for pre and post game. And then, you know, occasionally they'll contribute a, you know, a human interest story in the middle of the game. Steve has almost carte blanche to kind of chime in whenever he wants in game. And it it really, um, our producer, Greg Picker, he's phenomenal at blending Steve into the, the the we the weaving of the broadcast and um it, it and timing is everything you know it's like and it's it, well, like I was talking before like live TV it's not perfect you know a lot of times we'll go down to Steve and somebody will hit a home run or make a great play and Steve's report gets cut off and you have to have you don't have to you have to have sort of a, a low ego when those things happen and Steve has totally in, in, embraced it and he has a good time with it we have a laugh about it and he uh he has the right demeanor to kind of handle, you know, anything that we throw at him, just like anybody on the show, really. Kind of going off of, you know, we talked about a lot of different notable moments from the season. Sure. We talked about like the Diaz entrance and the DeGrom entrance and the Nimmo catch. But I'm wondering, is there a moment we like haven't really touched on that you're particularly proud of from the SMY broadcast this season that either didn't get as much attention as those or that we just like haven't mentioned yet? One of the most special days for me personally was the day they retired Keith's number. 
that so we we've covered pregame ceremonies before and we've done you know re- number of retirements uh mets hall of fame old timers day whatever it may be any pregame festivity but that was special because that was that was one of us going up into the rafters you know to have keith recognized and have keith have that um that day with his family and or his friends and even though we weren't on the field we felt like we were down there with him it was um it was a special day i really wanted the pictures to to really move the viewers at home and uh really make that event something that Met fans can watch on SNY 10, 20, 30 years from now. You know what I mean? It's so I, 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 that was a special day for me and one that I, I, I don't know if it got the attention. I, that doesn't really matter to me, but it was very cool to be able to recognize Keith and, you know, his accomplishments and on the field. Uh, because like I said earlier, he's, he's, he's basically, you know, a family to, at this point. So it, it, that was very cool. Yeah, no, that whole ceremony was fantastic. Yeah. And, you know, the fact that the game ended in such a crazy fashion, too, it was apparently, I think it was like... There's a, was there a walk-off that game? It was right? a walk-off, yeah. like, error by It was Marlins. the throwaway. Well, yeah. first, there was two errors. Right. Anderson made that error down the line. Nito hit that mm. ball. And then I think that's Nemo right. hit Nemo. it, and the pitcher, the pitcher spiked it to first. And uh, yeah, so that's what they it's want. Funny. It's funny. The day that the guy with 11 gold gloves gets recognized, there's the game ends on two errors. So. And the guy well, that loves fundies, you know, the guy all, loves all fundies, yeah. how about, yeah. how about all the crap he got for uh, the stuff he said? I mean, I personally loved it cause I, I hate <laughs> Philadelphia. I like, I love the city, but sports teams hate yeah. them. So how, yeah. Like how is all that when he said that stuff and that kind of went around? Sometimes we have to remind Keith that his microphone is on, you know, <laughs> <laughs> cause he's sort of, uh, you, you never know what's going to come out of his mouth sometime. And that was totally unprompted. I don't know where that came from. I'm glad that the Phillies broadcast had some fun with it and they made some graphics and it sort of added to Keith's uh, reputation around the league as being the quirky guy that he is. And any, any, there's no such thing as bad publicity and it just, it helps enhance the brand at SNY too, even when it's stuff like that. Did, did he get a kick out of it that it was going around or is, or is he like, oh shoot, like maybe I shouldn't have said anything. He, so, he is so funny. Like, I feel like sometimes he's like totally oblivious to that kind of stuff like he doesn't he's not even aware of how big it got you know uh, i'll say to him in the elevator on the way to to the ballpark how about all this stuff in philly and he goes oh i must have pissed somebody off huh i go yeah you think (laughs) i mean i'm not surprised that he wouldn't be aware of it considering there was that moment on the air what was it like last year or the year before where he had never heard the term pb and j which is also one of my favorite moments (laughs) in like booth history i still can't fathom how that's true listen keith has lived a very atypical life i mean he was he's been you know uh, he was a baseball star and he's you know been a star since he's retired in a different fashion and it's all organic and it's all unplanned and that's kind of why people love him because you never know what he's going to say and he could say a lot of stuff that a lot of other people can't get away with (laughs) you know it's and it's little stuff like that that is sort of charming about him too like he'll say uh all year on the field there was they painted on the grass, you know, the S the SNY app, you know, the SNY promoting the SNY app and like game 90 or hundred, whatever it was, Keith goes, Oh, there's an SNY uh, app logo on the field. It's like, that's been there all season, Keith. <laughs> it's, it's moments like that, that make us kind of go what in the truck. But at the same time, it's what makes Keith Keith. We love him. And yeah. it's great. That you guys always, wh- whoever on SMY social clips, all those funny booth moments for Twitter that I can just yeah. like bookmark and then enjoy later. So yeah, it's important that we have those preserved for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. We get a kick out of that stuff. And I was curious cause it was pretty recent. Um, I know you said you grew up a Mets fan. Yeah. How cool was old timers day for you and being able to <laughs> put that on. And oh, it was all awesome. 
that was awesome. I remember I I was watching batting practice and you you, you see you know all of these Mets from the you know the nineties and two thousands you know Benny Agbayani's and Turk Wendell's there. It's all these guys that I worshipped when I was when I was a kid and they were there and I thought it was really cool that the um, they had some original Mets there and I thought it was and I thought it was great that they retired Willie Mays's number. I mean it's a little odd that he because he only played a couple of years with the Mets, but to have twenty four up in the rafters is pretty special. The whole day was great. The whole, I mean, it was a lot of work. That was as difficult a pregame ceremony to to cover as we've ever done, just because of how long it was. And then we had to play a game after that, so it felt like a doubleheader. But it was, um, it was a really well run event, and it's so awesome that Steve Cohen brought in all these, you know, these players from throughout the Mets history. And it's it's been really cool to see the things that he's that he's sort of introduced, whether it be Old Timers Day or retiring Keith's number or, you know, even the Seaver statue and all that. It's just, it's, it's been a lot of fun to see the Mets history recognized. Yeah. It's not, it's about time. Yeah. It's about time. It's been really cool. And that'll hopefully give you guys more, even more material for future broadcasts as well. If you know, these special events keep happening. So John, we don't want to keep you too much longer, but we did kind of want to wrap up with, we've talked a lot about some of your favorite moments from this season, some really special games that we've enjoyed that you've been a big part of helping put on in the broadcast booth. Do you have like any favorite games over your life at SNY, whether it was before you got your current position or during your current position that really stand out to you as either a very particularly crazy day or some like wild behind the scenes stuff happened or just any any particular game or games that stick out to you that maybe we haven't touched on yet just to kind of get an even better sense of your your overall. Yeah, career? that's a that's a tough one. I mean. At some point in the season, they all sort of blend together. Sometimes you wake up in the morning and you don't know what city you're in or what day of the week it is because you just there's just a game every day. But for this season, we already brought it up. The, the Timmy Trumpet game with the Nimmo catch and the Grom pitching, that was that was a special day just because of the events that obviously took place. But as far as my career goes, so my mentor was Bill Webb. I brought him up earlier. He's a... Uh, He's been uh, he, he, every day. Our truck is named Webby, you know, and there's a picture of him in the truck. He passed away, unfortunately, in 2016, 2017. And so my most special moment would probably be his last game he directed at SMY. And he sort of knew that it was going to be his last game. He invited he, he I was back in the in tape as the associate director and he called me up and let me direct the, the last inning of his last game. And that was a moment that I'll never forget. It's, I mean, talk about a guy that with no ego to let a kid like me sit in his chair. And by all means, it is his chair. It's still his chair, even though I'm sitting in it now, come up and direct his last inning that he could have, you know, that he's ever going to be in the SMY truck was a very special moment for me and one that I'll never forget. And he passed away the following March. Wow, that was a real, I guess, you know, changing of the guard moment, I suppose. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, literally, literally, yeah, it was, um, it was uh, very special. It was actually here in San Francisco. We stay, even though we're playing Oakland, we staying in San Francisco. His last game on SMY was in San Francisco of that season, and I guess it was 2016. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and I know um, Gary Keith and Ron have always said a lot of great things about Bill Webb, and um, that's we talked about Gelb's filling big shoes. I think you've done a great oh, job man. also filling in those <laughs> shoes. Bill was Bill was the original rock star director. There'll never be another one like him. Well, that's incredible. And 
John, we can't thank you enough for coming on with us today. I mean, this was awesome to get some insight. And we've obviously seen all the stuff that you guys have done on SNY. And to get a behind-the-scenes look, it's been awesome. I would love for our listeners to follow you on Twitter. You're a great follow. So if you could let them, let them all know where they could find you. And- yeah, sure. I, it's just at John DeMarsico. That's me. J-O-H-N-D-E-M-A-R-S-I-C-O. I'm going to try to kind of... Uh... I like giving the behind the scenes look at the way we, we do things and, you know, some of the fun stuff that we've introduced this year, kind of highlighting that stuff and giving a little perspective on, you know, how something comes to be or, you know, how something uh, weaved into the uh, the mesh of the broadcast, whether it be from the booth or behind the scenes. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think fans love it. They, the fact that they have kind of a, a face to these moments that they I, I've seen, you know, you interacting with a lot of fans kind of commenting yeah. on these behind the scenes insights that you've brought which i think again just people care so much about the broadcast already and that they have someone who they know specifically is working on it that they can you know thank i think it's awesome that you're actually doing so much interaction with fans especially over the last couple months it's been great and uh, you know the i the biggest kick i get out of it is people are actually enjoying some of the stuff that we're doing and you know it's 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 nice to get that immediate feedback and you get a troll here or there but it's been like it's almost been universal like you know the support that I've gotten and, and our broadcast has gotten this season. Obviously, it, it's helped the team has played great and they're having this this unbelievable season. But it's been so much fun interacting with with fans because I mean, at the end of the day, I am one, too. So it's 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 been pretty cool. Yeah. Like Jake said, thank you so much for coming on with us, John. As always, to our listeners, you can follow our podcast at Cohen's Corner Pod. You can follow me at NYM Fan 97. You can follow Jake at Giblin underscore Jake. And thank you guys all so much for listening. We, you know, hope that John and the SNY crew have some really exciting moments planned for the rest of the regular season. You know, we'll see what happens. We're very excited to follow along that journey, even though SNY doesn't have all those games. But we're sure that the games they do have, we're going to really look forward to. So thank you all so much for listening. And as always, let's go Mets. <laughs>